when you listen to the show, if we are wrong or we don't know what we're talking about, that is perfectly fine. And you can correct us anywhere you want on Twitter, on Instagram, or on Facebook. You can find us at Not A Historian Podcast or at Not Historians. That's fine because we just jump on the internet, go to the library, talk to people, watch some interviews, and do the basic research we can just to show that two average Joes can do it. Exactly. We're not historians. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, maybe he walked around with jelly beans. That's what it is. Maybe he walked around with jelly I think beans so. I think he, and he was at the crime scene and stuff and be like, nah, see, nah, I got these jelly beans, see, nah. We're just two dudes that came up with an idea and we said we should know more about the everyday world around us, like why are beer bottles the shape they are. In 1930, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, in an effort to alleviate the effects of the, anyone, anyone, the Great Depression. Get ready to take notes, boys and girls. It's another edition of the Not Historians Podcast, with your hosts, Desmond Dunn and Shalom Agulavin. Time for a new show. A new show? Yeah. Right. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. Okay. It's not a good topic. Well, I mean, it's a good topic, but it's it's not a pleasant topic. All right. So so what's this one about, man? Um, well, I know you were going to do one, and I wanted to do one. We decided we would do them at some point. I think it's time to do Grandfathered In and Sold Up the River. Down the river. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not going to be uh, a, a joyful experience. Uh, no. Or, uh, now, if we make jokes or whatever, please understand that our job as host and entertainment is not only try to bring knowledge to people, right. but to find the lightness where we can. So we do not mean any kind of disrespect. Absolutely not. With either one of these topics, uh, don't take it that way. It's just some things are going to be a little funnier than others. And in stuff this heavy and this somber, we'll take it. So uh, I just want to start out. In fact, I'll start out with a funny story. Uh, I was telling you earlier, I was in the car yesterday when I come home from the store and I accidentally did a racist. Uh-huh. Now, what happened was... Oh, man. What happened was... Okay. <laughs> See what had happened was... <laughs> I was uh, I was coming home. I had my groceries in the back seat. You know, laid, laid the cargo down because I have a hatchback of Mini Cooper. Had all in there. And I heard something go, bling, bling, roll out on the back. And I'm like, hey, get that, get that. And she's like, oh, no, it's okay. It's the box with whatever. And I'm like, no, no, because I know the only thing that's making that sound is the spaghetti sauce we bought. Okay. So, of course, I go, no, check and see. I don't want the car. I don't want to get out of the car every time I get out and smell like the fucking Super Mario Brothers. All right. That's very insensitive. I get that to Italians, even digital, 8-bit. It is, but in all due respect, the Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers live in a fucking sewer where mushrooms grow. Playing around with shit and jumping all day. All right. Saying they smell like spaghetti sauce. It's a, it is, is it's a, a spaghetti sauce. Is, is, is probably the best thing that they can smell like. Okay. We know they are plumbers. You know they run around. All he does is run and jump all day. You know he's sweating. And he lives where mushrooms grow. Okay. The man smells like spaghetti sauce. That's a blessing. <laughs> I, I don't... <laughs> I don't know what to so, say. So, to the general Italian population, yes, I get it. To Italian plumbers, yes, I get it. Insulting. But to a man who lives in the Mushroom Kingdom, I hold. Was not as insulting as I could have been. Still bad. Still did a racism. Just could have been bad. Because the man probably smells like Dookie. <laughs> I, 
No, I'm just saying racism. <laughs> racism is not something we should take lightly. I, I do it. I'm sure you do it. No. Uh, you say that, but we all do it in some way, even if we don't mean to. Because I meant it as a joke, obviously. But it was insensitive. And I felt bad instantly after I said it. Um, and I'm even airing it on, on... Come on, I'm sitting on the podcast. So, like, I, I don't want any... I don't want anyone to get the idea that I was just like laughing at my car and myself snidely whiplashed. I don't know. Snidely? Wow, really? Yeah. I don't laugh that way anyway. But I, I wasn't not, in this case. Because you're a sinister villain and that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. No. So what does this have to do with the topic? Well, I'm just saying sometimes there's lighthearted uh, things that go wrong and sometimes oh. there's evil things that go wrong. Yeah. And uh, mine was a lighthearted thing that went wrong. And what we're about to talk to is a horrible thing that went wrong because I don't know about you, but uh, I used to have an unlimited data plan. Yeah, I still do. Okay. Well, I do too, but I used to have the real unlimited data uh-huh. because I gave AT&T like 40 bucks for whatever unlimited data meant back in 2005. Oh, yeah. Okay. So when I was getting like two megs, mm-hmm. they were they were fine taking my money. And then recently, since iPhones and stuff, they have started bitching and I'm using too much data for unlimited. <laughs> So, um, you know, I, I don't really care. I used to keep my old plan that had like 45 minutes yeah. and unlimited data for like 80 bucks a month. Yeah. Well, just because I could hold on to the true unlimited data. All right. And they would always tell me, oh, don't worry. You're grandfathered in. Never thought anything about it. Yeah. Now, now, have you ever heard this term? Yeah, I've heard the term before, too. Um, it typically meant like you're uh, – the way I interpreted it was you're, you're going to get – you had something in place that worked for you, and we've changed the rules now. But since you were on the old rules, we're going to let you stay on the old rules. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's what it means. And uh, a lot of people get grandfathered into like uh, work retirement things. Yeah, they change it. Um, whatever you have. Now, I, I was I was worried about changing mine when they told me I was grandfathered in because when they looked at my uh, data plan to tell me whether or not you know we should upgrade. Yeah. And they thought that my phone was reporting all five phones data. Oh. Under my, no, it was just my data. Oh. I, I, I pretty much. Look, I pay for unlimited. I was giving them that money when I was getting two megs. They took my money when I was paying for, for nothing. Literally nothing. Like, it would take 20 minutes to download a web page. Yeah. It wasn't even 2G. Okay. That's when you had the Sony Ericsson. I had. I probably. I had, yeah. I had two Sony Ericsson. Anyway, yes. Uh-huh. So... A way I feel about it is they own me for those years, so I can use my data now. Why not? Um, but they told me I was grandfathered in, didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. And if I move to this new plan, it'll be unlimited for everybody. Well, you get throttled. Uh, but they said that I'd probably be okay because they could grandfather me in. So I kept hearing this word. Like, he kept saying it. And I was like, what What? What? what does this mean? Where does this come yeah. from? Because now we think like that, right? Well, now it's a part of everyday speech. This is a common phrase. I don't think anyone has probably not at some point heard grandfathered in. Yeah. Or been told that they would be or asked if they could be. Whatever. It's it's a common part of our language. It's an idiom. Yeah. yeah. Do you know where this phrase comes from? You know, sadly, no, I don't. <laughs> sadly, you're going to. It comes from the Reconstructionist South, like oh, all great man. things. Yes. Because you see, after the 14th, 15th, well, and let's go ahead and throw in the 13th Amendment. Uh-huh. We're past um, that. Now, you know what the, the amendments are. 13th is slave in slavery. Right. 14th grants citizenship and other things. And the 15th grants voting rights mm-hmm. to free males. Now, after these came to pass, turned out that the South had to find a new way mm. to keep black people from voting. So oh, they nice. turned to a friend of theirs named Jim Crow. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, Jim Crow laws. Uh, and they reached way back and grabbed as much racism as they can, and they threw it out there. Now, um, I like to limit the tangents we take, especially since I just had one. But, see, racism, the racism that is, I hate people because of the color of their skin. It exists, and it's existed, and it was never really the basis for slavery in the South. That was labor, and we're already doing right. the established system. It may have been back in the day. It may be the foundation point. But Jim Crow totally is. Okay. And I'm not saying that it's a, it's a different evil. It's not. They're not equatable in a certain way. Right. I'm not going to equivocate them. But there's this thing of slavery is built on the backs of money and power and labor. Yeah. Okay. Whereas Jim Crow is built on disenfranchisement, hatred, and racism. Disenfranchisement, hatred, yes. and racism? Really? Yes. Okay. No, no. I'm saying, I mean, you know what Jim Crow is. Like we all we all have a general idea. We'll right. probably be a show on that. But as a result, though, that always existed. I'm not saying that those people didn't have that. that they weren't out to do that. Right. But because of a result of these amendments, it bloomed. It came right. into its age because... Now, if you really want to keep people out, you can't just go, well, we need the labor, we need the slavery, blah, 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 they're not people. No, now the law says they are. Yeah. So you have to sign up for the crazy train that is Jim Crow, that is, I hate blacks, I want my rights, I'm a better person than them, I'm more of a person than them. All this really shitty stuff that's going to happen after slavery. The slavery is the worst of it in a lot of ways. And the beginning of the worst of it in a lot of other ways. Yeah. Anyway, slavery, otherwise, all of it is forced upon the freed slave and their descendants for quite a bit of time, as we will see in this episode. Hmm. Um, but afterwards, the basis became, it wasn't just labor, because now you just paid them crap wages. So you still keep labor, you lose a little bit of money, but hey. Yeah. But this vote thing, this vote thing really threatens the power. That's what's scary. That's why we're talking about grandfathered in. Because grandfathered in has to do with voting rules. Um, now, originally, people may have remembered there was the three-fifths compromise. Yeah. Okay. That meant the numbers were smaller than they would be. It evens things out. Right. Uh, for non-slave states, slave states. Then the South realized something horrible. In some areas of the South, the new free black population made 40% of the electorate. So, so maybe not say maybe not horrible. They didn't realize something horrible. They realized oh, it's horrible for them. Yeah, they I'm saying, saying relative. Yeah, the word yeah, is yeah. relative. Fair enough. Maybe I'm just uh, arguing semantics. No, no, no. I get what you're saying, and I I meant horrible for them. It was horrible for them, not horrible yeah. really. Um, but forty percent of the electorate, it's which huge. meant now in these old slave places where they just ran the world, they might not be able to run the world so much, right? Well, if 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 the blacks could actually execute their right to vote. Probably not. It's 40%. Boy, howdy. Especially if they have a vendetta. Ooh. You better hope for a good turnout because imagine this. Wait, now pause, there's... pause. Did you just say, boy, howdy? Yeah. Okay. Just just checking. No, sure. I did. Because okay. it's, it's, it's there, man. All right. All right. Check it out. 40%. Well, that means that the other 60% only has like a 60% turnout? Yeah. You, you're like neck and neck. I mean, right. if, if they have a high like 80% turnout, like you got to have. Now everyone has to vote. Or you have to disenfranchise mm-hmm. the 40% from their vote. Guess which route yeah. Jim Crow thought was the best route to go. Imagine that. Uh, so they take this huge voting block, and it was set to upset the, the established powers of the day. Yeah. 
All right. So given the South was already worried about the North taking over and having a dictatorship, mm-hmm. now they have to contend with this. How do you vote? How, how do your fellow Southerners vote? When do ex-slaves actually start voting? All of this is going to change politics in the South yeah. massively. I mean, it's just going to... The Civil War was one thing, but for a lot of places, things just went, we're going to go back to normal, minus slaves. But not everyone had slaves. Right. The worst fear you had was that Washington was going to start controlling your day-to-day life. Big government. But now you have to worry that even small government could be overtaken. You have right. nowhere to turn. So this is really going to fuel the fire that makes the South South in the terms of racism and Jim Crow and yeah. all the other lovely things that came out of the Reconstructionist era. It pretty much, there could be a coup. All these established Republican machines that had ran, Democratic machines, I guess, at the time, that had ran in the South, mm-hmm. just be completely upset by a whole new electorate just being injected. But part of the problem I see with that logic is that, you know, you didn't have... You didn't have a lot of literacy in the black community at that time. Doesn't matter. They, before this point, there was nothing like that that mattered. They voted. Yeah. They're free men. They vote. Now you just added a huge new demographic that you've never catered to. You've never helped. Valid point. <laughs> so they could totally upset what you're going to do, plan, say. Not only that, you have these machines, these political machines that have been ingrained, that have been embedded in society, been running it for years. Yeah. About to be thrown already over by the reconstruction. Imagine, I, I know it's a horrible thing, but imagine you're one of these politicians running, one of these bosses running yeah. an area, and you survive the Civil War. You get to have your back. Somehow your machine is intact. You're able to get your electors. You get your people, your bosses, your sheriffs, your undersheriffs, your senators, everything back in line. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you also learn that now the blacks are going to vote. And they're not happy with you. So you, you, you're going to do whatever you can because you're like, Jesus Christ, I just survived the Civil War. Right. This is what this is how I fall down. This is why. And this is also part of the reason why people, I think, because the attitudes after the war yeah. were so focused, not just on slavery. What do you do with these slaves? And their lost attitude after the death of Lincoln with what what's going to happen to us. But you have this where people are actively trying to disenfranchise. This is why the idea of states' rights and slavery being the main causes gets so tied up. Right. I'm not saying which is which because I'm not I'm not fit to speak on this subject as to what's the cause of the war. I think they both are because we see what the outcomes are. Well, I mean, I think I think that's just that's yeah, just common right. logic to me. Is like if the if the Civil War wasn't about slavery and wasn't about states' rights, those things wouldn't have changed afterwards. I mean, and I, I've always kind of been taught that it was about states' rights, but you know, uh, slavery was a a big paramount issue. Right. right. No, everyone. No, I know. Always goes. I want you know. It wasn't really about slavery. It's like. If it wasn't really about slavery, slavery wouldn't have ended right. when it was over. And I think that's part of a, you know, a, a way to curtail the, you know, let me not say that. I don't think that it's anybody's doing it to curtail the, the importance of, or rather the significance of slavery being abolished afterwards. But I think that, you know, it is something that's taught as a, a point to say, well, these, the states felt like their rights were, were infringed on or infringed upon. And, you know, slavery was part of one of those rights at that time. So I think that, that they go hand in hand. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. They they definitely do. And this this is why the voting is another reason why they're so hand in hand. Yeah. Because had the slaves had a vote, mm-hmm. the rights would have been very different. Agreed. Now, there there's I don't want to say that nothing was done to really help the problem. Okay. So the people weren't I'm not saying that no one was looking for a solution, actively looking, trying to help people vote. Yeah. 
But this was a huge challenge. In a lot of places, they just resorted to good old-fashioned oppression and intimidation. Yeah. But even going into the 20th century, criminality would play a big part of this. They would still oversimplify the events. They would still try to play down the vote. They would still try to intimidate people. And I mean, I don't think there's anything more relative to this than the fact that the voting right was still a hot topic for black people to figure out in their own community by the time of the Harlem Renaissance and the Jazz Age. W.E.B. DuBose even talks about this. And everything that fed into the civil rights movement, which is starting to flourish at that time, it's just beginning to come into its own, pretty much comes from this Jim Crow that's based pretty much solely from the voting rights. So, Hmm. again, we're getting the grandfathered in, but all of this has to be laid for groundwork to understand why this little rule is so important. Yeah. So this is how big of a problem it is. It exists all the way into the twenties, thirties, beyond. Wow. But this but it's the same state pretty much that it was in the eighteen seventies. Like it huh. just doesn't it doesn't improve. So the vote exists. There's amendments are approved. They are part of the constitution. But in the actual practice, hmm. these political machines, Jim Crow, now which is fostered because people are taught that in order to have power, they have to embrace Jim Crow. Right. So this is all going together. This is why I'm saying this is such a horrible thing. It's like it feeds off itself. They're symbiotic. Mm-hmm. And so those in power tell them, well, we got to have Jim Crow to stay in power. Right. So as the power grows, so does Jim Crow. Anyway, it was only a really a matter of time before things like poll taxes and literacy tests were popped up, you know, to stop the black vote. And those, yeah. are, those are developments that go hand in hand with the intimidation, with the downplaying of the importance of it and just general disenfranchisement yeah what is crazy though is they the the poll tax and the literacy test works pretty well yeah they cut down the vote by a lot for sure yeah yeah because guess what ex-slaves tend to be a little bit poorer and a little bit more uneducated than people that have been allowed to roam free on the continent for several hundred years so they got denied their right just based on that right now there was a Kind of problem with poll taxes and literacy tests because they, they were the norm. You mentioned they were the norm. They yeah. weren't. You know, they originally I'm, developed. I'm learning today. They originally were developed to keep like poor, dumb southerners and field hands and stuff out of the vote. Leave this to the big boys and the educated men and the rich men and the landholders. And, right. Because, you know, landholders were originally the vote and we changed that. Mm-hmm. Well, now that everyone can vote, we got to maybe we need these votes. And now they need the poor whites. To join in so that they can defeat the, the few black votes. They have to balance it. Oh, so you're saying this this actually backfired? No, no. No, it, it well, it did backfire. But I'm saying originally they didn't want these people voting. Right. Well, and they right. said, let's vote. Vote with us. We'll let you in. You're one of us now. And that's yeah. why Jim Crow still to some extent exists today because everyone's on one side of the line or the other. Yeah. This is why. Because all of a sudden it wasn't socioeconomic anymore. It was color, class-based. Poll tax is pretty much what it sounds like. Uh, if you wanted to vote, you had to pay a tax. Yeah, okay. Poll tax. Uh, and that could be figured a number of ways. Pretty much the math was whatever keeps the most black people out of voting. That's the, that's the way we do it. Because that sounds logical. Right. Well, and it also, you know, it helps keep poor people out. It helps keep freemen out. Yeah. It helps keep immigrants, women, anyone, even after women get the right to vote, they want to vote because they don't have money and their husband's not going to give them 10 pence or whatever to go Vote. They don't want their wife to vote. No money can't vote. Yeah. Um, now, that's just part and parcel of the whole systematic effort to disrupt 
the vote, to control the vote, especially in the black community. Okay. Uh, the poll tax was just how things got done. No one had a problem with it for a very, very long time. Um, in fact, the Supreme Court upheld wow. the poll taxes as a condition to vote to register, well, for registration in 1937 in Breedlove versus uh, Suttles. And the literacy test also might be, you know, pretty basic. It's a literacy oh, yeah. test. Right. And, it, you know, literacy test on the surface doesn't seem racist. Uh, it doesn't nowadays, but it does absolutely seem racist back in then, in that day. Right. And, well, you know, like most things, it's the application of them that makes them a weapon. So Fair. today we hear about standardized tests, even math being culturally biased, which is the nicest word you can use to describe systematic racism. Okay. You mean the unintentional kind? Uh, well, unintentional or not, it's still systematic. That's a fair point. But cultural bias, as, as we like to call it whenever we're not going to fix it. Hmm. Uh, but all these things happen. But it th- there's a... <sighs> See, literacy tests were sometimes not themselves inherently racist. Yeah, after all, they had to show them to the court. Well, yeah, I mean, I get that. I'm, it, because... <clears throat> I get the idea, the concept. You want people to be able to read and, and prove they have some some cognitive knowledge uh, based on or cognitive aptitude based on the the information of the time, so that way they're allowed to vote. Sure. But the problem is that I see with that yeah. that logic is the folks didn't have the formal training at that point in time. They weren't allowed. Oh, and also you say aptitude. That's a good point because what happens when you have Immigrants from, let's say, Eastern Europe, Germany, maybe, or Prussia, or wherever, where have you, mm-hmm. we come over and maybe their English isn't great. But they're doctors. They don't have aptitude now because they, they, don't, they don't deserve a vote. Also, uh-huh. women who aren't being formally, formally educated in math, uh-huh. no way they could be disenfranchised by this, right? Hmm. I mean, this, this, this is the thing. It's very – and while it targets some people, it does. They're also not happy about it. Because yeah. more and more courts are having fights about this, and they just want it to be standard. They don't want it to be a fight. Right. Now, I say they, I mean the people in power. Now, the, the interesting thing to me, this is what's really weird. They get upset that it's actually cutting some of their voters off. They're, they're constantly trying to bend this thing around yeah. in all these kind of crazy shapes so that they can let their poor, dumb constituents, and they're going to vote for them, in. But keep out the same ones that aren't. That's, I yeah. Mean, it's yeah. It's it Flaw is the logic. is the late nineteenth, early twentieth century version of gerrymandering. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. No, it's exactly what it is. Oh. Now, this is even better. Literacy tests were upheld in nineteen fifty nine. Oh man, yeah. Oh. Um, well, you know what's great is they got they finally got around that pesky rule oh, yeah, of uh, rule. well of 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 literacy tests for the ones that were in their constituency. Imagine that. Yeah, no, it's really great. In some cases, if you wanted to vote, you could simply get a political boss or somebody in power to vouch for you as being an upstanding citizen and not Chinese. And that was pretty much enough. Are you kidding? Yeah. Are you so really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you would. They would put in these exemptions that were impossible to get it on your own. Yeah. But. If the person in charge decided they wanted to give you an exemption, you would get an exemption. You get an exemption. So all of a sudden, you're exempt from your poll tax. You're exempt from the literacy test, and you can vote for me. That's kind of or my or my candidate that's going to award me contracts. 
Mm. And, and they thought or my cousin or anything like that. And that's supposed to be logical and fair. Oh, but it totally is because you know the county board. Uh, oh, got upheld. Northampton County Board versus Lassiter, nineteen fifty nine upheld that uh, literacy test, and their whole package was cool to go. Yeah, that's um. Now it wasn't. They they weren't just like oh no this is cool this is how we yeah <laughs> I think their their ruling was basically it wasn't technically oh, unconstitutional no. that's how they which I mean got them on a technicality broad in the broad sense you have to agree a literacy test a poll text may not be it's the application that you're gonna have to challenge and that may yeah. have been the case I didn't read the court case to tell you hmm. literally enough how it goes I'm not literate in the in this case law in the legalese well in this case in this particular case law I'm not familiar with it I don't need constitutional law at all hmm. but I didn't find anything that said it but my, my guess is that someone challenged the wrong aspect of it because they're telling you it's not technically unconstitutional so the question is going to be is the application of it right going to violate a civil right somewhere um, and the answer is absolutely well <laughs> In 1966. Oh, yeah? What happened then? Well, it was ruled that it was unconstitutional. Oh. It was a violation of the 14th Amendment. It's about time. So, while itself, it wasn't unconstitutional, it was part of something that was unconstitutional. Again, the practice, the system. The application, right. Gotcha. Right. And that was its purpose. So, maybe it was. Of course, it wasn't until 1970 that the court actually totally banned tests for, as a prerequisite to vote. Are you serious? That's right. Four years after this this ruling, then they decided to actually make Well, they just banned tests. Like, before that, they hadn't banned tests. They just said, this particular one mm-hmm. is unconstitutional. Because that's how this works. This mm-hmm. is what... When we get to what grandfathered in, I, again, I'm laying the foundation work here because this is the whole thing. Yeah. This thing existed for so long because the way, un, the way it works in the courts, my basic understanding of constitutional law here is whenever they rule your law is unconstitutional... You just change the slightest bit so that it looks like mm. it's constitutional, and then they have to be challenged again because it's a different rule. Right. So okay. it's not this rule; it's a rule based on that rule. So we'll, we'll, you'll see very much what I mean here in a minute, and it will totally blow your mind. Okay. So looking to solve the problem of how blacks vote in this whole, how do we keep them out? How do we disenfranchise them mm-hmm. without specifically targeting them or getting taken to court? Or whatever, they came up. With the best clause ever. Oh, yeah? What was that clause? It's the granddaddy of them all. It's the actual grandfather clause. It was simple. It said that if your father or your grandfather could vote prior to 1960, or not, sorry, prior to 1866 or 1867, depending on where you were, this clause where it was applied, then you could vote regardless of other rules. All right. Now, do you see what's wrong with that rule? Well, I mean, on the surface, it sounds like it would be it would really not disenfranchise anyone who already could vote. That's right. 1867, 66 has to be very important. Yeah. Because that's when blacks could vote. Ah. So guess what? Prior to that, your father, your grandfather, yourself couldn't vote. Was a slave and couldn't vote. So they effectively nullified the entire fucking black vote. It's ingenious in its cruelty. I agree. Now, that is so... Reluctantly, but I agree. So simple. Prior to 1867, there was no black vote because the Reconstruction Act hadn't happened. The Reconstruction Act itself hadn't happened. 
what's more important and probably what we will never know when we talk about voting at this point is just how different things would have been mm-hmm. if the government had enforced voting. Oh, wow. If they'd had voting rights. Because in theory, every male citizen should have had a vote. Yeah. But we see from the enactment of this law, that's totally not going to be the case. And it's not going to be the case for a very long time. When I said that this was going on, I mean, we're talking about 1970, they banned tests. Yeah, crazy. Everything is pretty much from this. Uh, Just to be clear, the reason why it's called grandfathered in is this law, this smart, smart Jim Crow law. Yeah. Which, I mean, it is ingenious, yet again. Wasn't actually made until almost the 20th century. It was in like 1898 that they enacted these laws. So you may be asking yourself, it's pretty apparent what this law is designed to do. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and it's pretty bullshit. It's meant to target those of the lower class and blacks. Mm -hmm. So why would it be a thing? Yeah, I mean, why wasn't wasn't this thing called bullshit on immediately? Uh, Good question. Okay. Kind of wondering that myself. At the time... We were having the Spanish-American War. The assassination of uh, President McKinley was happening around the time this is being acted. People are looking at it. Uh, Seven states had these clauses in their books. Mm. Okay. And it remained a pillar. This was like Jim Crow put his knee on this. This is one of the things he was like, yep. When he Captain Morgan with whatever it is he Captain Morgan put his – this is what he put his foot up on was the fact that he had these grandfathering in clauses. Where you could vote. Now, it was it was found unconstitutional in 1915 for mm-hmm. Gwynn versus the U.S. dealing with Oklahoma's particular clause. It was a state amendment done in uh, 1910. Mm. But, and this is mind-boggling to me because, um, again, not a lawyer here. Right. But the clause was still in the law and allowed to stand this long. That's, that's the thing that gets me. So we're talking about at least... A good 17 years where just actively there's laws that say you can't vote. That's crazy. With with a direct aim. Like, that's the right. thing. Before the poll tax literacy, those are all, after the fact, after this, used to try and help enforce it. Right. Along with it, along the way. But once these get struck down as unconstitutional, that's when they, they come in. So when you hear about the poll tax stuff, yeah, you see in the old days, they mean that was when they were trying to disenfranchise I want to say everybody, but I mean all the people that could vote then. Right. And then it went away because they could just use this law. They mm-hmm. came up with a smarter law because they had to deal with, oh, God, black people could vote. Right. And then they went back and they said, wait a minute. If we couple this law that targets black people and then add an exemption from the old poll tax and we add the literacy test, we can ban everyone we want. This is how corrupt it was. Like, I don't even understand it. So uh, the Supreme Court comes to the rescue, right? Uh, one can only hope. Yep. And it it said, they, they said that the clause was repugnant to the prohibitions of the 15th Amendment. And I think that's true. I think that's very yeah. nicely worded. Yeah. And, of course, Jim Crow was dead because of this, as we all know, in the voting world. Yeah. On poll tax and everything. Oh, I'm sorry. No. I lied. <laughs> the states decided. You're right. That law targeted the wrong population. It is very... So, for 15 days in 19... Yes. Okay. For 15 days in, ni- in 1916, if you had been disenfranchised by that law, you were allowed to enroll to vote. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Uh, ridiculous. After that, though. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. No? No. Oh. 
So that, yeah. that, that they, they, they literally opened up like a two-week window. Yeah. And I bet they closed early every day. <laughs> and they were like, come get your vote. And then they threw it out the window. And they were like, there's your voter registration card. And we're closed. Yeah. yeah. They, they throw it 20 feet and then shut the window at the same time. Yeah, no joke. Like, wait. Okay. Now, the new system was struck down. So don't worry. Good. In 1939. Oh, man. Over 40 years. Oh, Lane versus Wilson, yes. Uh, now, the poll taxes were, for federal elections, were done away with the 24th Amendment. And then the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1965 fixed a lot of things yeah. that were wrong. Um, Harper versus the Virginia State Board of Elections in 1966 extended the ban of poll taxes to state elections. Nice. Which would finally see the end of grandfather in the clause that spawned that phrase and all of its successors, these poll taxes, literacy taxes, um, the reworkings of the clause yeah. in the country. So we haven't had an active campaign. Now, I'm not saying we don't have things. We haven't had an active campaign across the federal lines to disenfranchise from the mid-60s. And same with state on most levels. These laws that disenfranchise people based on color, literacy, or financials have been known. Now, of course, there's always new ones, but we don't really talk about that stuff, so I'm going to let that go. Uh, we, we try not to be political, especially current politics. <laughs> yeah, most certainly. So, uh, you know, wherever you stand on gerrymandering or voter rights or what have you, the Electoral College, feel free to share your opinion, but we, we, we are not. <laughs> yeah, You can let us know in this episode. Now, do you have anything now that you have learned what grandfathering means? And it meant that you, you get to vote, but a bunch of black people don't. I, I feel like... Apparently, that's due phone bills, too. I don't know. I, I mean, I can't write, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea where you were going to take this with the conversation about your, your uh, phone company. And your uh, unlimited plan, but I want to say that I'm probably not ever going to use the term grandfather. Oh, yeah. Man. The, the phrase is going to be one that I quickly, and, you know, I don't use it often. I think I've heard it a few times, but uh, it's one that I'm going to quickly erase from my vocabulary. And, and I mean, I feel like this Eradicated from my vocabulary. No, that's what I'm saying. I feel like this is one of those things where we're actually doing a real service. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure I got some of the points wrong. Not worried about that. Yeah. But the fact exists that. This phrase comes from a clause originally, and then successors, but a clause that was meant to specifically target a group of people that gained a right to take that right back away from them. Right. So my thought is, we need to find a different. We need to find a different way to say something other than say "grandfathered in." Um, yeah, I, I would highly recommend that if you are listening to this and you feel as we feel, I'm not going to campaign on. I don't have, but uh, if if your company. If your bosses, if your friends say this, maybe the show. Maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe reach out and let them know what it's about. Find a, find one of our show links, uh, not for us, for a source or something. Just say, hey, you know that comes from a a place. Now I'm not trying to get social justice here. I don't really. I'm not usually too politically correct. You listen to the show. <laughs> Fair point. I don't want to smell like Mario, brother, and I don't want people to say that's what I'm saying. Right? Exactly. I'm not politically correct. I'm not somebody out to change it. And I don't believe in snowflakeism. But this is just a hateful ass I'm phrase that's been turned into an everyday. This would be like people using guns as hammers. You know, like, that's just not that's just not what you do with it. And that's how I feel. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, you think grandfathered in is a fine term that should stay around for many a moon. Uh, reach out and let me know that, too. And I will be happy to call you a racist. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah. we, we can definitely have a discussion about it. <laughs> 
what we're going to do now, because we have a second topic, as we mentioned, sold down river. We're going to take a quick break. We got to get uh, some of our notes together, uh, finish crying, and then, and then we'll be back. So uh, here's some ads from some fellow shows. Definitely check them out. They're cool. And we'll be back. Project Archivist is a podcast that talks about the science of tomorrow, the lost history of our past, spirituality, and the paranormal. Join us as your hosts Rojan and Lobo take a different look at the world around us through discussion and guest interviews. Find us on iTunes or visit us in the archives at www.projectarchivist.com. This is the Secret Transmission Podcast. We are a podcast about the strange and unusual, the secret and the conspiracies, the fringe and the supernatural. We're a podcast that talks about weird things like number stations, the Bermuda Triangle, the Salem Witch Trials, time travel, the moon landing, the Zika virus, serial killers, cults, the deep web, UFOs, superstitions. We cover it all. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and Google Play. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Secret Transpod, at S-E-C-R-E-T-T-R-A-N-S-P-O-D. Come listen to us try to explain the unexplainable. And we're back. So interesting point, man. This this has been kind of a an interesting show um, today. Say least. Indeed. So I want to talk about one uh, phrase that I, I had researched. Sold down the river. Sold down the river. Yeah. Now people say that like I, often. In fact, no. But they say it like when someone betrays you, right? Like right. You're like, oh, you threw me under the bus. Exactly. Or sold me down the river. Yeah. One or I the mean, other. something really like really profound. Uh, dif- uh, what is it? Profound disappointment. Yeah. Or profound Tre- betrayal. Treacherous. treacherous betrayal. Right. So it's treason. Yeah. So I was speaking to I was speaking to one of my coworkers back a little while back, and we were discussing a project that didn't, didn't get completed on time. Uh, my coworker said that on the weekly conference call, the project manager was caught off guard by his department manager when he said that the project manager failed to capture three critical requirements for the project, and now the project would be extended another month. Uh, my coworker said to me, "I hope you would never sell me down the river like that." And, you know, because we've got this show that got me thinking, where the hell does that phrase come from? That can't be that can't be a good phrase. But ultimately, I said I would never sell you down the river like that. But uh, then again, I I was guilty of using the same term, but I didn't really have the understanding of it. You know, I guess we've kind of talked about it and you've heard and or used the phrase before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I always heard it being used as a term to describe betrayal from someone close to you. Or someone you trusted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. When someone when somebody does up to you and you're like I say throw I say throw them under the bus. But I hear people say sold down the river. Yeah, and I think sold down the river is is on its way out as a term that's being I hope used. So. Um because it mean one, in, in modern times it means the same thing as thrown under the bus. And I think that's more that's more politically correct nowadays. Plus who doesn't like final destination? It's just a great I, I mean, Right. I agree. I agree. No, I don't. <laughs> um, but the origin of the phrase is much worse than I initially thought. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I know, right? You see, the phrase comes from a time where slavery was still rampant in the South between 1970 to 1860. You mean 1790? 
Correct. 1790. <laughs> you know, you mix them. Like, yeah, no, I, it happens to me. <laughs> Mixing those days. So, yeah, 1790 and uh, 1860. Sweet. The need for harvesting cotton had swelled in the South, and there was such a need for uh, strong black men that's in the fields. So they needed labor. Indeed. That was that was a major focus on this. So it's important to mention that at this time, slaves were no longer being imported to the South after 1806. This caused for families to be broken up due to the sale of slaves for higher profit from one plantation owner to the next. Right. Now, they actually have like, I'm, I'm going to say slave farms because that sounds better, but it's a ranch because you ranch livestock things. Right. People would count, since we're animals, I guess we count as livestock. I don't know. I've never ranched people. But my right. point being that these folks did. Yeah, exactly. Now, this is where they would have what was called like uh, the slave plantations where literally because they blocked the import. You said 1906, 1908, somewhere uh, 1806. there. 1806. Yeah. 1806, 1808, somewhere in there. They block them. So they start having these plantations and stuff where they're just breeding slaves. Right. Right. Okay, I knew this happened like in Kentucky a lot. It, it so, did happen a lot okay. in Kentucky. We, we called them the slave growing states. Oh, is what we called them. Okay, I didn't know um, there was a special term. For this. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then this, the term was you know coined to uh, for those states who actually did exactly what you're saying. They they turned they, they for lack of a better term they were farming humans or cultivating humans, which is because we're plants, right? Yeah, ridiculous. Um, now I mentioned that the plantation owners would sell slaves for higher profit. And the result would be broken families because the goal of the buyer was to gain a slave who could not only work harder, but longer hours in the fields. Right. And then I assume since like you're in Kentucky mm-hmm. and I'm assuming this river comes into play somewhere. Right. I'm getting in there. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Then, then you're, gonna tear, you're, gonna, you're not going to buy the whole package. You just need the one field in. Well, well right. Oh, okay. Exactly. You know, but wow. there's, but okay, there's an enterprise ahead. for this. There's an enterprise for this. Yeah, you know, the practice led to the sale of primarily black men because women were considered to be uh, not to be hard enough workers or not suited to the level of hard labor that was required south of the Mississippi. Well, that sounds so wonderful. So the river in the phrase refers to the Mississippi or Ohio River. Um, Oh, man. Yeah. Mississippi just can't get a break. Uh, Nope. The states in the south that adopted this practice, like I stated earlier, were known as the uh, slave-growing states. So they're the ones who would cultivate the 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 uh, slaves and would send them down the river, essentially. Also, wait a minute, they would take you, you get sold and go down the river. Down the river. Sold down the river. Exactly. Uh, That's where the phrase comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, like I said, people are grown like plants. Yep. No, apparently. Uh, and like you stated, you mentioned Kentucky. Kentucky, Kentucky is one of these slave-growing states. Oh, God. Uh, the work conditions south of the Mississippi were some of the harshest and slaves were subject to this kind who were subject to this kind of work didn't tend to live very long. Uh, this is also evidence in evident in Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin. Oh yeah, I don't think Uncle Tom dies, right? Uncle Tom is beaten to death. Yeah, I right? know. Yeah, I was trying to be nice. I was. I mean, I didn't, for people that haven't read it, spoiler alert. Well, they, uh, you know what? Uh, if you haven't Master read it, has Uncle Tom beats death. Yeah, and it's 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 ridiculous because. You know, the story starts out with this this slave who, so I mean, I guess it's a sidebar conversation. No, we can go into it because I, I think that Uncle Tom actually does get sold down the river at some point, doesn't he? In, in the story, yes. Yeah. You know, starts off as a, with a plantation owner and they, he's sold because they have debts, heavy debts, and they sell him to make up for those debts to down down the river. And he ends up with a decent family where he makes friends with the... Uh, 
uh, as friends as much as you can, a slave can with a master's daughter. Um, oh, that just sounds bad. Yeah, well, it's going to be a bad leap for talking about uh, it. It, it is, but not because of that. No, I know. Um, so, and this is, and I'm going from memory on the story. It's been quite a while since I've read it. Uh, they become friends. He gets to the house. Uh, the master dies. And so they end up selling the, or auctioning oh, okay. Uncle Tom again. And the person who actually buys Uncle Tom happens to be a bit sadistic and has him do a lot of work in the fields and then has him beaten to death. Yeah, I that's, mean, that's why Uncle Ben's my favorite. I love rice. Rice and beans, man. I mean, I'm not trying to detract, I, but I got to my brain. I can't take this. I, you, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin is one of those books I think everyone should read. I agree. But at the same time, it's so horrible. I don't want to think about it. So I'm going to sit here and think about red beans and rice while you tell me the, the next part of this horrible story. Yeah. So as I was stating earlier, the conditions of south of the Mississippi were some of the harshest and slaves didn't tend to live long. Uh, I suspect that's why the phrase has such a deeper negative connotation or connotative meaning. Uh, because talking about just selling someone down the river is, okay, you you put them on a boat and send them down. But there's Yeah, that more whole selling meaning. part, I think, is what... Uh, well, selling, sure. But the down the river portion of it, yeah, it, it's deeper negative connotation. Right, because right, because you're going to a much worse place. Exactly. Your fate is... Is sealed basically. It's like being thrown under a goddamn bus, basically. Uh, True enough. It's equivalent. It's equivalent because you are going to die, and you may get beat to death. uh, True, true. I mean, that's a very valid point. Oh man. Uh, Now this was this wasn't just a practice for the southern slave owners. Even some northern slave owners adopted the practice, uh, but this wasn't as common. Slaves in the north were were sold in this manner when they caused trouble or to reduce mounting debt. Uh, That was that was kind of the this, the, the the icing on the cake, so to speak, for some owners. They said, "Okay, this slave is too much trouble. Let's send him. Let's send him down the river. Let's sell him down the river." Um, and and so they would sell him, oh. they, and they would make money off of this slave. And they were essentially sending this slave to a life of whatever was left of their life, hard labor. Uh, one point that I want to bring up here is there is a in the black community. There's been something that's been stated before where you know it's. It's very hard to for for black men to have a family to be that family dynamic. Right, it's not as common. You know, you more often see one man uh, with several women and then going from house to house. The mentality there is because of this type of situation. You're you're cultivating a time where you're breaking up families. So you were using. There was a time in there here as well where the slaves the the slaves were being used to sire uh, other children. And the idea was you would produce stronger heirs and you'd move from, from one house to the next house to the next house. And that would be your goal. That would be what you did. Yeah. And so there was no real family dynamic like you have it in the other races that were uh, predominant at the time because of this setup. And a lot of that translated into the now. We've talked about today a couple of different, you know, we talked about grandfathered in and sold down the river as the phrases. But if we're also taking into account the time, the history right right then, we're at a time right now where we're not far, we're not too far removed from the the quasi end of racism. We're not too far from the from the end of the the Civil Rights Act. You know, there are still places 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago where 
if you were an African-American, a black person, you were not going to be there after dark. You weren't going to you weren't going to just break down in that city because you horrible things could happen to you. And I just want to point out that we're not far removed from that. And then across apply that to this scenario that I was discussing about how the family dynamic hasn't been hasn't had time to to be. Uh, ingrained no, in that's, what that's what you're saying you know like it was ingrained a different way i mean it was literally beat into you a different way exactly and then you're having to learn from that and just like literacy and socioeconomic mobility and everything else it takes time to develop it's not something that you just get right i mean there's a great saying that uh is that all men are created equal mm-hmm. right but that doesn't mean that everyone gets the same results it's true mm-hmm. You know, results may vary. It's all about how you apply those things and how you're allowed to apply those things. Like we're talking about with the vote, obviously there were significant barriers to being able to apply these basic rights. Yeah. So even then, you're like, well, but slavery ended. Yes, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean the families got back together. Exactly. And the kids that have been raised already where that was their life hmm. are going to continue this trend most likely. And it's going to take a very long time for that mentality, that that culture to stop being acceptable. Exactly. Not not so much commonplace, not so much expected, because I, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Uh, but I think there is definitely an acceptability to it that right. comes from the fact that, well, that's how it used to be. That's how it used to be. And that just goes farther and farther back until you get to points like these where you see the actual genesis of a problem. Exactly. And it's, it's important because, man, you, families are broken up by moving. You, you decide, well, you know what? Jim, you're getting out of line. Jim, I don't need you here anymore. Jim, I'm going to send you down the river. And and that's 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 hard. That's I, really painful. I did mind one thing because I just looked up the phrase very, very, very quickly. Okay. And I, I just want to say it because I think it, it's going to portray this in the, the the light that is most appropriate. It came, I found it on NPR. And it comes from the Oxford English Dictionary. Mm-hmm. And it's according to Harriet C. Frazier's 2001 study, Slavery and Crime in Missouri. From 1773 to 1865, and it contains a firsthand account from the journal of a Mr. Aaron S. Fry, who witnessed the suicide of a slave who was about to be transported. Right. And it says, a Negro man of Mr. Eli's, having been sold to go down the river, attempted first to cut off both of his legs. Failing to do that, cut his throat, did not entirely take his life, went a short distance, and drowned himself. That's how bad. Yeah. Just the thought. This this man hadn't been sold down the river yet. He had just. I mean, he had been sold, but he hadn't actually gone down the river yet. He just been sold to go down the river. Right. So bad that he tried to cut off his legs, and then actually cut his throat. And then when that didn't get him, he drowned himself. Uh, and this is. I, I mean, you still may have more to say. I just the only thing I can tell you is if you're interested in this concept of slavery that we're talking about, particularly in the areas of like Alabama and Georgia. Mm-hmm. How slave society worked, how these things appeared. Um, there is actually a book called "Sold Down the River" by Anthony uh, Gene Carey from the University of Alabama Press. It's it's as horrible as everything we've said and more. Yeah, but it will definitely give you an authoritative look. Agreed. Uh, at what we're talking about of this time period, because it's not something I know. We've done a few shows that have hinted at this, and this is the first one that's actually gone in depth. It's not something that we really enjoy looking at. Uh, personally, I don't. No. But, I but think, it is something that people need to know. I agree. And I think the reason why we study history is to prevent 
from making the same mistakes. Well, and then there's also, we talked about, you said unintentional racism. Yeah. When I talked about systematic. Think about this. Is I'm not saying it is, and maybe our listeners have a different opinion. How does the use of these phrases factor into that? Does the fact that people say grandfathered in or sold down the river have some sort of racist connection? I don't mean from its origin, but I mean the use of it. Does it make it acceptable? I don't think that anybody intends to use these words or rather these phrases as the as a a stepping off point for being racist. No, I don't think anyone does it, but I think it's acceptable is what I'm asking. But I do think it is. It has been ingrained in society to accept these as terms that are are uh, used to to satisfy certain situations that you want. No, no. I mean, I understand what an idiom is. What I mean is the fact that it's acceptable to reference these type of events, this period in history. As something, even if people don't know that they're doing it, that's even, ignorance is, is ignorance an excuse. Because people often are, are racist because they're ignorant. They've never actually experienced another culture. Right. They've never actually hung with another race, another religion, another orientation of whatever. Mm-hmm. But does that extend to language? Does the fact that you're ignorant of the words you're speaking make you not responsible for their connotations, for what they mean? So uh, the short answer to that is... I don't know. No, I mean, no, and that's why I'm, I'm just asking for people to, yeah. to tell us what they think. I mean, if you have a thought, sure, sure. My, my thoughts are on that. We have to have more discussion around it. I, I know yeah. people who who have a, a strong, a strong disdain for anyone who utilizes phrases like this, uh, inadvertently even, and well, I mean, not knowing it, their history. It's real. It's real talk. I mean, let's <laughs> let's be real for a minute. Yeah, we both know that there are certain words that you can and cannot use. Everyone should have that. Uh, fair. We both know we use them damn words. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, uh, all right. That's uh, fair. I mean, to- totally honest here. Like, I'm not, I don't want anyone to feel like I'm accusing them of being a racist for saying these phrases. I'm asking, does ignorance, how far does ignorance play as a defense? Because obviously, I didn't know what these words were. I've said them. You said them. People say right. them. They're part of, they're an idiom now that means something different than where they come from. But does that ignorance of knowing that, is that an excuse? So the, the question I have is the this Ring Around the Roses song. Uh, right. For Ring Around the Rosy, Pocket Full of Posies. Right. It's, it's about the the plague. Right. You know, is Black it, Death. Black Death, right. Is it good to sing about this? You know, kids sing that over. Well, that, that's my question, though. It's yeah. like, it, it, I personally, my, I, don't, I mean, I want to make this an interesting conversation with people, mm-hmm. but my personal take is no, of course not. Um, now, again, you know, my, my BA is actually in philosophy, so maybe me arguing this and getting into word games isn't technically fair because in my mind, I think the language is the way it's used, not not where it comes from. Any term I use mm-hmm. is grounded in my intent, not grounded in its actual subject. Like it, it's not reflective of the original subject of what she talks. It's relative to the subject I am referring to. So my mental That's construct, fair. my mental construct of this chair is what I refer to, not the actual chair. That is my argument as a as a language game. I would say the same extends to this. That's that's a totally different. Totally different topic, but I'm just saying for the people wondering Indeed. because I mean there's ways that words are used. I'll be real honest. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to put us out there, but you know there's there's definitely times when you have to look at words you use and, and see say, if that's indicative of a and say even though I intended a way, does it also come across this way? Because while I believe that when I say uh, hand me your phone, I'm I'm assuming that your phone can turn on. Your phone may be dead. Right. I'm not saying hand me your dead phone. I'm saying hand me your working phone. That's right. what is in my head. I'm saying when people say sold me down the river, say, you know, grandfathered in, they obviously mean 
allow me to be grandfathered in. I mean, please allow me an exemption to this new rule because I was already a customer or right. receiving service. Right. I think that's a valid – I think that's what makes it valid. I think when things get racist or whatever is when people say the word mm-hmm. and their intent is obviously the original meaning in Which, these cases. That doesn't happen today. But I do know. think – I do think that despite that, because these words come from a time period that while it shouldn't be forgotten, should be uh, – I don't, I don't know what the word is. They should be remembered, but they shouldn't be used. Remember, but not remember. Make, make it, yeah. Make it a museum. Those words can exist. They can be in places. We're never going to get rid of them. It's time for to. Sure. But personally, I'm not going to say soldier on the river. Uh, you know, I've definitely. I'm not going to say uh, grandfather in. Eradicated both of these from my vocabulary. Right, exactly. Because the thing is, I understand where they come from. Right. I'm no longer ignorant. When I said originally, is ignorant an excuse? Yes. I, be- I As I said, I believe it is. But now that I, I'm no longer ignorant, you're no longer ignorant. Hopefully, the listeners are no longer ignorant. Right. That so, excuse is no longer no valid. Boy. Yeah, exactly. So the argument there goes away. My original argument stands because I want you to think, are there words that you use, that I use, that anyone uses, that just because we don't know where they come from makes it acceptable to use them? Yes, of course. We don't know where they come from. Right. But when we know where they come from. I mean, yeah. Once you once you know, you cannot go, go back, back to, to not, not knowing. knowing. Right. Exactly. And I think that's, that's where we should leave today because that's a better note than talking about more slavery. Agreed. I've been Desmond. And this has been Shalom. And we're the Night Historians. And we'll join us again next time.